find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee, and today I have got a friend with me that is going to share some interesting information, and we're going to hope that you not only listen to what we have to say and what we're talking about, but think about it in perspective with your own life and the way you're doing things, maybe the way you're thinking about things. And I'm really going to encourage you to go back and listen to the show again. It's going to be in the archives just minutes after it airs. So go back and listen again. And keep in mind that the information we're sharing is things that both of us have used in our lives and with clients and have seen the difference these things can make. So we're, we're hoping to share information with you today that's going to help you to, to look at things in a different way and, and feel better about yourself. And people that listen to my show know that, that I do a lot of that sort of thing. I want to help people to feel better and uh, basically improve the quality of their life. So I am very happy to introduce you to Paula Renee. Paula, it is fantastic to have you with me today. I am thrilled to be here, Nikki, and I'm excited to go. We've got so much to talk about. We do. We do. Actually, we have so much to talk about. But what I want to do today is just just kind of talk about the coaching work that you do. Because I, I talk to a lot of coaches and I network with a lot of coaches, and we each we each bring our own thoughts, our own experiences, things that resonate with each one of us to our practice, you know, and to our clients. Each one of us have gone through things. And I think I think it's one of the really cool things about coaches is so much of us so many of us seem to gravitate to things that we needed in our life. You know, the things that made a difference for us. I know I have and I know there's certain things that, that I started seeing changes in me and it's like you know, I've, I've got to share this. This is great stuff. I've got to share this with other people. And so what what brought you into the coaching field, Paula? What made you start doing this kind of thing? Well, same as you. I wanted, I learned things that helped me, and I wanted to share them. But, you know, it was a, it's a bit an evolving process. So I took pieces over the years of this. You know, I'd get one little piece, and I'd share that. Then I'd grab another little technique or whatever, and it'd just be, you know, it just really changed my life. Well, then over the years, those have all kind of come together into – kind of a unique set of things besides the experiences that I bring into it, which are vast and sprawling and, and highly unpleasant on most cases. Those are really important things, but they, give, they gave me a foundation and a base to work from. And then as I picked up each tool and technique, it kind of came into this really unique little set of skills and approach to things that can help people in ways that maybe other techniques can't that they like you said they'll resonate with these kinds of things because it's like oh my gosh I just want to I want to hit it with everything but the kitchen sink you know that kind of a deal and whatever's appropriate at that moment so that's kind of the kind of odd way of saying what I do but I have all these different ways of, of getting to the issue and my big thing is healing on all levels emotional mental physical, and spiritual. So that's kind of the ballpark of where I am with my, my coaching program. Okay. I, I like to, I was, I was looking over your bio, and it says that you help people uncover and clear their deepest emotional blocks to love, success, and happiness. You know, that, that may seem like a simple statement, but that's a lot. <laughs> that covers so much territory, you know. And, and I think that's, that's one thing, too. And, and one of the reasons that, 
your message and the things I saw about you clicked with me so quick was so much of what you do and that sort of thing resonates so much with my, my Love Yourself program, you know, and the same kind of things that I have people doing there. That, that's why when, when I first started seeing your stuff, I said, you've got, to, you've got to send me something to include in this program, you know, to let people know about what you're doing and to give another perspective on things. Well, so, we know. We know it's the subconscious thing. I mean, it's, it's all those things that we do that we don't realize that we're doing. So whatever approach, whatever angle we take to get there, we've got to get there. Well, and that's it. The the same. It's not a one size fits all. You know, I, I don't care how many people say this. You know, cookie cutter works. It, it it works on some levels, but when you're talking about the the things that you've buried and you're ignoring, and you might not even know are in your subconscious that you need to deal with, cookie cutter isn't going to cut it. You got to dig deeper and find what the problems are. What is your main focus with your coaching? Oh, that's a that's a lovely. You, you main focus on the client, or what kind of issues I work with, or or how do I get to them? How about all three? <laughs> you okay, well, let, me, let me just. I'll tell you the way I am very different, and it's like I said. You know, I've taken all these modalities and these different pieces that interested me through the years, as well as combining all my real world experience and what worked for me and what I learned, and I sort of combined it into one whole package kind of a thing. So a typical session with me would start out with an intuitive reading. And I use, I use cards, and sometimes that's a little scary for people, but my, my thing about that is, you know, we all have that connection, whether you want to call it higher self, you know, your guardian angel, I don't care. Whoever that is, I use those cards as a tool to get a message through that, that hasn't been able to come through in any other way. Maybe it's a validation, maybe it's something like that. And I'll start. I don't want to know anything about the client at first, and so we start there. That sort of cues the subconscious to start opening the doors in ways that other things can't. From there, we probably will go to do some energetic clearing that incorporates the use of like either muscle testing or if, you know, if it's in a distance thing, it's a pendulum thing, and it will identify trapped emotions that are in the body, and then we'll use a process to clear those. Then I use real-world coaching and a variety of different tools. So that's the short answer. You know, I was just thinking one of my every, – every year the, the nurse practitioner I go to makes me go have a blood test, okay? Number one, I hate needles. And number two, you can't hide anything from needles. You know, once somebody takes your blood, they're going to know whatever secrets your body's got to tell, you know. So <laughs> I'm thinking the, the way you're doing this is you're kind of going around what the person's willing to tell you and what they're willing to reveal, and, and you're going deeper and finding, and, and helping, actually helping them start the digging process of finding what's, what's there and what's hitting. Am I missing the point? No, it's absolutely perfect, Nikki, because that is true. And if you think about it, I think about me, that there's that part of me that goes, okay, I know, I know I want to know this, but there's a part of me that's really, really afraid of it. But when we can go in this way and gently kind of open those doors or just really one of the, one of the pieces of this is going back and identifying particular emotions that became trapped at a particular point in time. You don't have to know anything. It's me interacting with your subconscious, you know, your higher consciousness, whatever, and when we identify it, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, say abandonment, betrayal, those are some of my favorites. Okay, and this occurred, you know, at age, you know, say 10 or whatever. We, it doesn't matter what age. And they go, no, no, nothing like that happened. They can't think of a thing. And I'm going, well, and then I'll get kind of an intuitive hit on, well, you know, maybe this or that. And they go, oh, 
you're right, that's what happened. And it opens this door, like I said, in a very gentle way to something that was really, really having a huge impact in their life that would have taken forever to get to in another, in another way. And that's what I love so much about it. You know, just, just for informational kind of things, I'll have to share, show you um, or send you a copy of my, my timeline exercise I do. In, in the part of my program about um, dealing with issues from your childhood, I've got an exercise in there, and actually I did an entire show about it, just kind of explaining how it works. But I have them go through and start just innocently looking at different things in different times in your life. And, I mean, I, I, I have them start as early as the memory starts, so, you know, four, five, six or earlier, depending on the person, and because it gets you kind of digging and thinking about experiences in a different way and hoping that's going to help them to drudge up issues and times when, when something may have started or their behavior may have started to change for reasons they don't remember at this point. Because, I mean, honestly, even, even if it was really negative, there's a lot of things we just don't remember, and it could be because our, our subconscious is trying to protect us, or it could be any number of reasons, or, or just bad memory, you know, in some cases. Well, but, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and you know, uh, you're so, yeah, I'd love to see that. I would. And like I said, it's, it's just one of those things to start getting people thinking. I did a timeline. I was reading, um, uh, I don't remember the book, uh, but it, it was, it's a journaling book and, and a book to help writers. And it, it had a, um, wanted you to create a timeline of your life. And it was amazing the things that helped me see. And I'm like, okay, okay, this is a new tool. Got to add this to my, my coaching tools, you know. But, and of course, my own little spin on it. Well, absolutely, and that's what every one of these is, is adding another piece to our tool so that we have, you know, more, better ways, more ways to help people so we have a, a toolbox because, like you said, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Oh, yeah. I, I have, <laughs> have a wonderful coaching toolbox of different things, and, and I tell people, I said, you know, one of the things as a coach is I'm not going to make the change. You're going to make the change, but I'm going to give you the guidance and the tools that you need to make the changes in your own life. Because I want the person, when they see the changes, when they start to feel better and they start to feel happier, they need to feel the satisfaction of knowing they made the change. It's very empowering to know that you can make a change, especially a positive change in your life and feel better. So what what sorts of clients do you normally work with? Is there a certain sort of person or experience that, is just tailor-made for what you do? You know, I have, I have clients that are, you know, male to female, and probably my youngest client actually at this point is, is male, and he's early 30s, oldest 80, and that's my best. So, you know, what's, what's your niche? Yeah, really, I don't have one. But, but what happened, the majority, <laughs> the majority of, uh, if I have to pick a group, are women, and when I talk to these women, I had a new client yesterday, and you know, yesterday morning, and I'm always blown away how incredibly fabulous they sound. I mean, they they just are, you can tell they're highly intelligent. They've got it together. They've got it going on, and I'm and you go, well, why would you be calling me? What is going on here? But underneath, there's that other layer that it's it's come to that point in their life where they go, you know, yes, I've been I've done this, 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 and this, but. I know that there's stuff beneath here that needs to come out. I'm being asked to step up and, and move to a new direction. And so when we start opening that door, they don't always know what the problem is. It may seem like, well, it's a relationship, and that happens a lot. Either they've, they're in a relationship that's going south or they've just gotten divorced or 
um, they want a relationship. But what the bottom line when we start getting down to all of these things are there's some major, major trauma in the background and typically it has not been recognized, whether it's sexual abuse, um, any kind of abuse kind of a situation. Lots and lots of people that came from alcoholic families and here's the kicker on that, just like me, they didn't even realize it. They, it was just like that's the way it was. Oh, there was some drinking in my house, no big deal. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was, okay? <laughs> and I, I've had people, I've just had client after client say to me, you know, I've been in therapy for years. We never got to this point. We never did. And now here, you know, in 30 minutes, boom, here we are, and it's, it's just like this whole earth-shaking thing. That's what... That's who I help get to those really deep issues and clear them quicker than what you could imagine because I integrate some body work with it. So there's my basic client, kind of all over the board, but yet when we start you know, drilling down, there's some real core issues and a trauma and unrecognized trauma in the background. Well, I think sometimes it's, we may not recognize the extent of a problem. Like, like you said, you know, as far as the well, there was some drinking, you know. We, we kind of justify different things. Or we get conditioned to it and just think, well, but that's the way it's supposed to be. That's how life has to be. And that's, that's something I mention in the show a lot, too, is don't ever assume it can't be better than it is. Don't ever assume that you're unhappy and that's acceptable. You know, don't ever think you can't be any better or you can't be any happier or you can't have a better relationship because nine times out of ten you can. You're going to have to put the work into it, and you may have to make some changes. But most times it can be better. You just got to figure out what's holding you back and what the problem is. And pain you know? helps us do that. And I so when I talk to people, and I and I can tell. I mean, they're in intense pain, and we've lightened it. But you know, sometimes at the end of the session, I'll go, I'll, I'll say to them, I said, you know. I, I know that you're in, in really in so much pain now, but I want you to know how incredibly thrilled I am for you because this, was, this is what brought you to this point. This is what got us here so we can move forward. And if you don't ever get to that point, you never get to the joy. You never get to the other side. If you just keep avoiding that pain, you know, I mean, the universe, circumstances, life is going to keep pushing you, keep throwing things at you going, you know, here, come on, here's your another chance to do this. Oh, come on, do you want to really hit your head against the wall one more time? And when we reach our break point, say, no, really, I don't. I'm, I'm done. I give. What do I need to do? It opens the door for so much, and then healing begins, and life really begins in a whole new way that, that's never been experienced before. Very true. And, and it's so awesome when, when you talk to people, and, and I've given the example of, of my mom doing this, but I'll just, I'll just leave it generic this time. But when, when you get to a point where friends and family look at you and go, I don't know why you look so much happier, but you do, and it's awesome to see it you know something huge is taking place, you know, or is taking place because not, not only do you personally feel better, but you're radiating that happiness in such a way that other people are starting to see that, that something's changed in you. It's just, it's, like I said, it's so empowering and not in a, not in a I have to have control kind of way, but it's empowering because you just, you feel so much better about you, you know, about you and what you're doing and, and what you're accomplishing, and that's such a powerful kind of thing. It's very powerful, and, and if we could, can I interject one thing with that right here, that when you start to change, people 
and in your life may not be so happy about that because it can actually throw a kink in their plans. So I, in fact, when I was you know, making some of these transformations, people would look at me, well, shoot, in my divorce, that was part of my deal. My, my ex-husband, he was well, my husband then, he said, you've changed. You've changed. And I'm, just, I'm sitting there starting to shake going, oh, my God, what, what's wrong with me? And I'm going, you know, I have changed. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> I like it. Thank you very much. <laughs> so people will not respond to that because if you've been, you know, really buying into the negativity and buying into the stories of the people around you, family, friends, whatever, and all of a sudden, you know, you wake up and you start changing, that's going to throw them off because they'll feel it, they'll see it, and they may recognize that new shining star in you, but that may not be comfortable for them. So when right. your world, when you change, your world must change with it. So speaking of that, and, and I, I have a, an aunt, I love her to death, I really, really do, but she, she will say what's on her mind, and she never censors what she has to say, to say the least. Um, <laughs> You know, but but I mean, I I, I tell her, I said, well, you, you rubbed off on me because I tend to do that. I mean, I'm I'm gonna tell you if something comes to mind. I try to be tactful, but that doesn't always work for me. But I was I was over at her house, and I used to play cards with her all the time. We used to play cards two, three times a week. I don't know where I found the time, but we did. And I hadn't played in ages because I was you know tied up with business and writing and all this kind of stuff. But I went over one day, and it was her and, and me and a friend of hers that was there, and and. Everything her friend said was negative. She was complaining about work. She was unhappy. She didn't feel good. Her daughter was doing this wrong. And it, it, it's like we were talking about earlier. You just, you just feel like you're getting beaten down by this kind of thing. And I finally couldn't take it. I could not listen to another word of it. And I looked at her and I said, do you ever say anything positive and it's not just complaining about something? And they both looked at me like I'd lost my mind. <laughs> and, and, you know, I wasn't invited back. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, because you were, yeah, you were upsetting their apple cart. That was normal. That's, well, yeah. that's, that's, that's their thing. You know, you got to complain. And I was like, no, 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 no. I am not going to sit here and spend my afternoon get, getting beat half the time and just being beaten down with all this negativity. But, uh, yeah, it was funny because, like I said, she knows you never come over. And, and so I came over and, and I opened my mouth and I was not invited back. <laughs> And you know that's okay. It's okay because it, it. What did we really have there in the first place? And this is the hard one that was that's really tough for me because we really do care about these people, and it's not that we stop caring, but that situation's not helping anyone. I can't support someone in their negativity and being miserable because a lot of times what people do, and this is actually stuff from, from my book, Living the Life You Love, it really is, we, we become enablers. When we continue to listen and listen to the same stories, all we're doing is really giving that person an opportunity to vent and let off enough steam so that they can continue to tolerate what they know they need to change. Right. Well, and the thing is, if, if they learn to tolerate it and we're enabling them, they're not going to make a change for the most part. They're not going to see a need to make the change. You know, if, if everything around them is encompassing that negativity and encouraging the negativity, why change? You know, because, I mean, well, in change, and I've said this many, many times on the show too, change is not easy initially, and it does take work and commitment to do it, and there's going to be some pain involved. But when you look at the long term, and, you know, even, even if it takes you, three, four, six months 
to make a change, start to see a change, start to see your attitude changing and feeling better and this kind of thing, it's so worth it in the long run because you're going to be happier. Things are going to be better. But some, some people just, it's that initial hurdle, and they just don't want to get over that hurdle. I got, I got one. I got one for you. I was looking over the notes you sent me last night, and this is a question I was hit with on a, on a live radio show, and I didn't have a good answer to it. And I, I'm going to see <laughs> So you're going to hit me with it. Okay. <laughs> it's it's about, you know, it's only fair, right? <laughs> but, well, and, and it, it dawned on me that I've, I've never put this question to somebody else, and so I still don't have an answer to it. So we're, we're going to see if you have an answer for this. I was on a show, and we were talking about Tantra, okay? And we were talking about that and um, how it helps partners to connect on a much deeper, uh, higher, and I know that sounds contradictory, and, and a spiritual plane, okay? And I was, I was talking to a friend of mine about this and, and telling him him and his wife should try this too. And the, this woman comes back, and talk about negativity, whew, but she came back, and she's like, well, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist, and I don't want to do anything spiritual, so I, obviously that's not for me. So what, have you had a client or dealt with somebody who uh, is an atheist and, and refuses to believe in any kind of a higher power of any kind? How do, you, how do you deal with that kind of thing, or have you had to deal with it? Well, actually, I, I do have an answer for that because you can't. I go on the energetic level because when you when you talk about that sexual energy, you know it really is energy. Okay, so what you're doing, the mental process, you know, you, you, for me it's spiritual, but for other people, they can't deny that energy is all around us. We do not exist without energy. We are we are electrical beings, and that feeling goes from one to another. Some of my background, you know, one of my things is I'm, I do energy work. I'm a Reiki master teacher. So I know that. And I can tell you from personal experience that energetic connection, which is what we're talking about in that sexual energy thing, when you are with the right person in the right space, is it, it is incredible. And it takes you to a place you, you know, that you can't go otherwise. It's simply energy. We're all energy. It's just energy. So you're connecting your energy with that other person's energy in a way that takes, you know, takes them together and makes them harmonious and resonates in a different vibration than either of you do individually. Does that make sense? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because as soon as I said spiritual level, oh, she pounced. <laughs> she was waiting for it, boy. But uh, interesting. Okay. Well, so what is record? Oh, go ahead. This, this person I was talking to, um, him and his wife have very different religious beliefs, and she refuses to talk to him about his, and, and he was saying that, that this, it, it's, it's creating a void for him and their relationship that he can't share these kind of things with her. And so that's why I was, I was suggesting he might want to take a look at this, and I'm like, this is a way for, it's not religious, it, it, even though some people kind of think it is sometimes. I said, it's not that, but it's, it's going to allow the two of you to connect on a higher plane and a higher level that could satisfy some of that need that he has. Does that sound logical to you at all? Well, absolutely it is. And here's the thing about that. There, you know, I actually have a couple of exercises that, that you do that, and they're totally not involved you know, sexually. 
but the energy is there and it is so profound. I mean, I quite honestly, it's addictive. And the only word is energy because it is so profound and you don't have to have any kind of belief except connecting with that other person in an energetic way, the end. But it takes you, it, it stimulates these feelings because of your place of being with this person, just simply sharing energy. And it, I know it sounds so simplistic and it's hard to describe feelings to any great degree, but it's huge to be able to do that. Yeah, a, a few weeks ago um, I did a show talking about intimacy in a relationship and how sex and intimacy are not the same thing. They, they, oh, can, yeah. they can definitely work together, but they are not the same thing. So there's, there's so many things on an intimate level, and, and I think this is the same sort of thing that so many couples don't, don't realize they're missing. You know, they don't realize this is missing from their relationship. But, but they, Nikki, you know, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Nikki, I think there's a big, bigger thing here, a bigger, bigger thing when you were talking about this couple and you were talking about the religion. It's not the fact that they can't share this experience. They're never going to be able to share this experience because there's another block in the way. There's, there's bigger stuff going on there that, that, you know, that might open some doors for them, but if you don't feel safe with a person for whatever reason, you can't go there. You can't. You will have walls up, you'll have blocks up, and you will not allow yourself to be that kind of vulnerable. You know, that's all a mind twist anyway, but you know what I mean. If, if, there's, if you don't deal with that underlying issue, and if there's an issue with religion, there's, there's, there's a belief system there, and there are fears, and there are all these kinds of things that need to be dealt with in a particular way. I mean, it's always, of course, a specific can of worms for each couple, but there's stuff that needs to be handled there. Right. You know, one, one of the questions that, that I ask coaches and, and this sort of thing when I talk to them is how their journey, and, and as far as I'm concerned, and this is, this is why I called my, my website lovecoachjourney.com, is I, I feel like the, the training and all the courses I took, that's the beginning of the journey. You know, and seeing the changes in me, that, those were all part of how the journey starts. And then there's, there's learning more, and I, I've got so many research books here, it's nuts. And I just ordered three more yesterday. <laughs> but, you know, so it's, it's not that you take the courses and boom, I'm done. You know, it's, it's how do I continue to integrate this and how do I use this and learn more and, and which topics resonate with me on a level that I want to learn more. And, and with every client, I think we learn almost as much as they do and it can expand our knowledge and this kind of thing. So one of the things I ask is how did your journey in, in coaching begin? How, how did you get started? Well, the same way most people do. I say most. A lot of people do. I was in pain. I mean, I really was in pain. So I was trying to find the tools for myself, and that, even though that wasn't when I started coaching, that was my journey to get there. And by the time you picked up those tools, kind of like we started this conversation, you're ready to start doing something. You want to expand in a way you haven't. Well, let's face it. We all know that illusions, Richard Bach, we teach best what we most need to learn. You know, there, there's, there's truth in that, okay? So I've, I've done all my, not all, I've done all this work up to this point. I've gotten these insights, and I have what I believe really are some nuggets that I can help people with. So the next step for me was I, I had this passion to help. So, you know, go do the, tra- 
the, the coach training. And then one thing leads to another. And, of course, I've already done other training up to this point. I just expanded in the coaching area. So what I was really doing was even way back when when I was doing energy work, I was still doing bits and pieces of it. But with every step I've learned along the way, that's expanded things. And one thing leads to another, and they sort of snowball on each other and become this very expansive like we've talked about, toolbox where we can help people in ways that we never could have before nor were available to us back when. These things, the tools that we have available today, they weren't around 20 years ago. They just didn't. They just were not. If they were, it was just few and far between. So it's a very different process today than we've ever had before, and I think we're in a really great time. It's funny. Before we, we started recording, we were talking, and, and I said, you know, I was I was flipping through some information that we're going to cover in, in the next time we do a, an interview together. But I, I said I was looking through there, and some of those points, I was sitting there going, I've been there. I understand that. Yeah, that's me. And I was joking to Paula and said, I wish I'd met you 20 years ago. What a change you could have made. And it was so funny. And you came back with, well, but I didn't have all this 20 years ago. <laughs> I was in the same place you were. And it, it's so true because even five or six years ago, I, I just didn't have the same understanding and it's, it's kind of funny because I've been going back through some of my my old shows that I did you know probably seven eight years ago and and looking at those and and finding things in there and I listen to that and I listen to what I'm saying and go hey I had a little bit of this back then <laughs> you know, I've just kind of you know refined it and learned more and that kind of thing but um but yeah, it's interesting to see how we grow and how we change and and it's it's so great that coaching is becoming I, I kind of shudder to say mainstream because I don't think coaching is ever going to be completely mainstream, but it's it's becoming much more accepted and people are seeing the value to to coaching and it's a very different approach. It's not your standard um, therapy counseling that kind of thing, but I, I think it's just from the stories I've heard and from the experiences I've seen with friends of mine that have gone the traditional therapy route for years and years. I just think with the right people, it's so much more effective to really get to the heart of the problem. That's like years ago I used to work for a um, chiropractor, which, here again, not mainstream. you know. And, and we'd have people that they didn't want to go through any kind of regular um, program with the doctor. They said, well, I'll just, I'll just take an aspirin or I'll, just, I'll take whatever my prescription medications are and this kind of thing. And it's like you're covering up the problem when you do that or you're, you're temporarily getting rid of the symptoms, but you're not getting to the root of the problem. And I feel the same way about coaching. You're, you're not getting to the root of the problem if you're going with a different route, and you've got to get to the root, find out what the problem is, and handle that. Absolutely. It, you've got to get to the core issue. And the funny thing is, too, Nikki, I, I have several of my clients are therapists and counselors. And some of the things that I, I, I know, seriously, this is true. And they are so blown away with how this process works. And yet there's that fear because I, there's actually quite a few I have friends that are therapists. And I have, I have just begged them to learn some of these techniques. I said, please, just learn this one technique because you can help your clients so much more effectively and they are very, very resistant to that because there's a, there's a fear factor there. I mean, and it just changes things. However, I am seeing a shift in people coming out of the therapy side and really moving into the coach side because they have more 
um, flexibility. They have more. They can do more things than they feel like they can. And that's not true. But while we're on this topic, you know, there's a there's a big um, movement. You know, if you want to call it, it's been going on for for many years, over a decade or probably two now. I don't know. But it's called energy psychology. And there's a whole. You know, there's several tools that fall under that. But it is becoming mainstream now. And that's that's huge for that to happen. The American Psychological Association has just reams and reams of research that validate these incredible tools. And I would just I just wish for everyone to have access to those because they make your your journey so much easier and so much quicker. And so much more thorough in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. Okay, so what is it and there are gonna be people that hate their job and they're they're not gonna believe I even even put this in one sentence, but what is it about your work? that makes you happy and makes you want to wake up and get to work every morning. I, that's it. You know, I love, I love what I do. I mean, I know you hear this probably a lot, but when you get to that point where you go, I, it makes a day for me. I, I love hearing the change in people's voices. Even in one session, it's just, it's so, it makes me feel worthwhile. It, it fulfills me. And I've had the corporate job. I've made good money. I've done these things. And I, you know, I haven't gotten myself back up to my peak at that by any stretch. But would I ever in a million years go back and, and put myself back in that? Oh, not even going to happen. It makes me ill just to even think about it. So the people that are out there right now and they're miserable in their jobs, they complain about them so they can stand it. They feel like they have to be. They come home and watch TV to medicate and do all sorts of other things, take the antidepressants, do this, do that, find distractions and diversions. I beg of you, I absolutely beg of you to stop and, get, and, and really make the effort to take that step to figure out what's going to bring you joy in your life. Because when you can get out of that place and We've all been there. I'm not talking about anyone where I haven't been. I know what it's like to be Sunday night to roll around and be sick going, oh, please, I don't want to go tomorrow. Please, please, please. Today, you know, my, the life I live now, I never know what day it is. I, I have no idea. The only thing I know is my phone says, you have an appointment today. <laughs> you know, the client calls at this amount. And I love it because it, it brings me joy on so many levels. The changes it's made in my life on what I can do and the flexibility are incredible because I'm doing what I love. And that's just what I love. Some people, if it's gardening and you love it, do it. You know, there, there's so many aspects to this. But for me, it's the fulfillment of seeing other people get out of their misery and realize their joy. Very, very true. Yeah, I know. I used to, I, I had several jobs where every, every night if I had to go to work the next day, I got no sleep. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so I, I knew that Friday night and Saturday night I was going to sleep and I was going to catch up, and then Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, I wasn't going to get any sleep. It was, I did a good job. There were redeeming things about what I was doing, but I just was just so not happy, you know? Uh, yeah, we need, we do different things at different times. I mean, we need that. And and that when I was in that place, because of where I'd been through the divorce and through all this whole earth shaking stuff that just really rocked my world, I needed to be. I needed to do what I did. But then there came that point, and we're back to the pain point. When you're miserable, that is your cue to do something. So if you don't, what's going to happen, if it can't get you through just being miserable on the weekends and realizing that your life is just, you know, pushing yourself to survive through the week so you can have a few hours on the weekend to recover, that's pain. And what happens is if you don't listen your next step is it's going to show up in your body and it's, what, it's going to be with a health issue. So if you don't do it, it's just the pain is just going to increase until you've got to face it in one way or another. 
Very true. Well, and, and so many people don't understand that a lot of times health issues are telling you there's something else wrong. You know, there, there's your body, and, and I tell this to some friends of mine who, who don't listen to the signals their body's throwing out. You, your body's going to give you signals that there's a problem, and it, it could be it could be all physical, it could be emotional, it could be all kinds of different things. But you got oh, to. Yeah, can I tell a story about that? Got a good story on this. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> uh, because I love to tell stories on myself. Okay, at 32, age 32, I was convinced that I was in menopause. <laughs> I had all the symptoms. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> I did. I mean, you know, I, I, I just couldn't sleep at night. You know, I, I, I was sick at my stomach and sex. Oh, please. You know, moody. Oh, my gosh. I had hot flashes. Oh, I was just flashing like you can't believe all the time. I, and so I had all these symptoms. So mm-hmm, I had it all figured out. 32, and so I trot myself to my doctor. I said, I'm in menopause. You need to give me a pill to fix it. And she looked at me and said, you're 32. You're not in menopause. I said, yeah, really, I am. And I proceeded to tell her all these symptoms and how it was exactly this way. And she kept asking me questions and doing this and doing that. And, and I'm going, look, I'm telling you, I'm in menopause. You better just, just take the blood test and, 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 and I'll prove it to you. And she said, fine, I'll take a blood test. And she said, and then she asked me some more questions. She said, but I want you back here in a week and we're going to discuss this. I said, all right, fine. I can wait my week or two, whatever it was, for my stupid pills. Just take care of it. So we did the blood test and I went back in there in that two weeks. And so she's looking at my chart. She goes, well, all your blood work's normal. And I'm sitting there appalled. She said, and she asked me some more questions. She said, she said you're not in menopause. She said, what you are is very unhappy in your marriage. I was appalled. Dare she suggest such a thing? Well, I was, I didn't know what she was asking. She kept asking me all these stupid questions. Well, she was figuring out what was really going on and bless her for it. And so she said, look, the only thing, she said, you need to see a therapist. And the only thing I can do for you is get an antidepressant. Well, I hit the roof. I didn't need her stupid stinking pills. So I, I trotted myself out of there and she was all wrong and blah, 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 blah. But in the meantime, I am taking Sam E. and St. John's Wort for my, quote, moods. I'm taking an antihistamine so I can sleep at night and then an acid, one of those high-octane antacid things so that it keeps the acid down so the bile doesn't lurch up in my throat while I'm semi-comatose and choke me to death. I keep tums at my side, and that's just what I remember, Okay. So finally, things roll along, and this is years. They roll along, and then I'm managing, and I'm sticking to my guns, and I don't have any problems in my life, and then all of a sudden, my world falls apart. My ex-husband moves to another country, and I take my children and move you know, up to another state. It just fell apart. And all of a sudden, overnight, literally, just I wasn't needing anything to sleep. I didn't have bile coming up in my throat anymore. I didn't need any of those drugs. It was very much my body saying, pay attention. So there's my story. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Tell <laughs> like me about every doctor I've ever been to. And I, I'm one of those people, I don't, I don't go to, to the doctor. That was probably the last time I've been, and that was many years ago, let me tell you, many. Because I don't. I, take, I, I look at things in a very, of course you can tell by talking to me, I'm very non-traditional on this, but I, I really am big on, and this is huge for me, Taking personal responsibility. You take yes. responsibility for your health and for your life and for your happiness. Responsibility and accountability. I'm big on both of those in all aspects of life. So <laughs> this is something that I, I put this phrase together, and people here again look at me like I'm crazy. And I mean, they, they have reasons for that on some levels. But with this, I'm not crazy. This is real. 
how would you describe an unhealthy relationship? People don't seem to grasp that they can have a healthy relationship or an unhealthy relationship. And that's, that, that's not just in, like, with, with your partner, but, I mean, it can be any kind of relationship that you have. How would you describe an unhealthy relationship? I'm going to describe my unhealthy relationship to you because here's how it felt. But, again, it was normal. You knew what I was, she was going to do. Well, you, you, thought it, you thought it was normal, yes. Yeah, we thought it was normal. Well, well, for me, it was, you know, after my 26-year marriage ended, I got immediately into a, a relationship with a guy called Rebound Guy. And everything that was wrong in my marriage was wrong on steroids in that relationship. And while I might have felt abandoned and betrayed and all that through the years, I mean, it, it was just like a constant thing of every day. Whatever he did, he triggered in me these feelings, and it would, it would hit me in the gut, and it was just like I, I described it as being gutted like a fish, just like this sliced open, and it was just this constant turmoil. Well, for me, if you're in a relationship where you're feeling in turmoil, if there's, if there's constant some kind of conflict going on and you're feeling and you're worrying about it constantly, it's unhealthy. It is that simple. If you, if you, like me, I'm going, oh my God, what's he doing right now? I wonder what he's doing. Is he with another woman? I wonder if he's doing this. You're, you're, you're in a very unhealthy relationship. To back that up, we learn these patterns. So, and I really, I'm glad you brought this up because this is important for, to share because we learn these patterns. What does love mean? Well, for me, you know, abandonment. I've got to have that energy, which I didn't understand, but it kept me on that edge. Well, I'd I had attached this really negative feeling, a cocktail of negative feelings, to love. And so I had that in, in my love connection there. So here was my thought. If only I could get him to do X, Y, Z. If he'd just bring me flowers, I'd know he loves me. If only he would do this, I'd know he loves me. And what I was really saying was if he would do that, it would somehow fill a hole in me and somehow it would validate me that I was worthwhile and worthy because I did not hold that opinion of myself. Right. Well, and, and there's so many things. And, you know, put up little little mimmies on, on uh Facebook and whatnot, and the other person should compliment you, not complete you. You need to complete yourself, you know, and, and I mean, it, it may sound like a little cliche kind of something, but so many people have this void, and instead of finding out why there's a void and fixing the problem, they expect another person to fix it, and another person isn't going to be able to fix it, you know. No, and we get to a point, too, too, Nikki, where we go, well, we want this kind of relationship. You know, we want, we want to have a relationship with this kind of person. That's one stage in our development. And they, that's all well and good, but, you know, why is an enlightened master going to want to be in a relationship with you? You better take a look in the mirror and let's start fixing that issue first. And that is the thing that I think people hate hearing the most. They just hate it. I've got to fix me first, Really? I gotta fix me. No, I just want you to tell me how to find my soulmate. I don't want to do any work. Just, just tell me. Do I hop on one foot for you know three minutes and then twirl around? Will that get me my soulmate? I can do that, you know. But don't, don't make me look in the mirror. <laughs> it's so true. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> oh well, you know, and one of the things, and and like I said, this this hit me doing an interview on somebody else's show, and I'm sure it was one of those those like marathon Valentine's Day weeks when I did did a whole lot of interviews, but. Honestly, it's, it's the height of hypocrisy if we go into to a relationship with somebody and expect them to give us unconditional, complete love and acceptance, and we don't love and accept our own selves. You know, how can you ask another person 
to feel more for you than you feel for your own self. So, I mean, I, and, and people, here again, look at me like I'm crazy, but, you know, you, you've got to love you, and I think that's, that's the, first, the first stone in the foundation of any kind of a relationship, whether it's, it's an intimate, loving relationship or family or whatever. You've got to feel good about you, and if there's reasons you don't, you need to fix them. You need to find out what the problem is. And you need to fix that. Another thing that came to mind when you were you were telling your story was that one of the things I, I like to do with clients um, is is look at like if if they're having a really hard time finding a loving, lasting relationship. Okay, is look at the patterns in their past relationships. What have they done in in each of these relationships, or even most of the relationships? And there's a lot of similarities. If you really start digging down and you're really being honest about it, there's a lot of things that we do every single time. Maybe it's the type of person we're looking for. Um, maybe it's our expectations of what that person, like, like you said, there's certain things that you just think this person has to do to show that they love you. There's, there's these kind of things, and it's, it's like the old, if you do the same thing over and over again and expect a different response, that's insanity. It's just not going to happen. You've got to do something different or figure out what you're doing wrong in order to get a different reaction or different response. Yeah, here's a, here's a question to add to that. And it's, it's, it's just a, the, major, the major one, fundamental question, why do you want a relationship? Why? What is it going to bring into your world that you don't have right now? What's it going to bring? Uh, what are you wanting from that? And, and here's the kicker to that. We've got to be honest about these things. And this is the really, really tough part is being brutally honest about what we really want. Because if it comes down to, you know, I want someone to do stuff with all the time. I, I want someone to cook and clean for me. I want someone to have sex with me. Be honest about it. If you want somebody there so they'll fix the car or take care of the yard work, be honest about it. Be honest. If you want someone there for financial security, be honest. If you want someone who's really, you know, good looking because they want, you know, you want that um, approval or validation or look how good I am because I have this kind of person, you better be honest about it. And once you face that fact about yourself, then you can choose what you do about it. Do you want to keep that belief or not? But until you make the effort to go, okay, this is what I'm really wanting in a relationship, you don't know. And you are simply operating on automatic and it's not going to get you what you want. The thing is, there, there are other people out there that may be okay with what you want, but if you're not honest with them, you're never going to know. You know, maybe somebody else just wants, maybe maybe the woman just wants somebody that's going to take care of the car and take care of the yard. And maybe the man just wants somebody that's going to take care of the house and fix him dinner and have sex with him. Okay, if, if that actually complements each other, you know. So and that's fine, but be honest. Yeah, yeah, honesty. And so many of us aren't. And what happens when we're not is we'll say this. And so we put on this superficial, you know, this is, you know, oh, well, this is really how I am. But underneath, and we're going to go back to energy now because it's, it's that subtle vibe that's going out. And so even though you don't say it, people pick up on that vibe. And so it can, you can be saying all the right things, but if there's a neediness of some kind or an agenda, people are going to feel it, even if they don't know what it is, and they're going to back away could be uh, one of the reasons for cold feet sometimes. Yes, exactly, because sometimes, you know, we can't say, well, they haven't said anything wrong, they haven't really done anything wrong, but something just does not feel right. I'm telling you, having been there, <laughs> trust that feeling because it's not right. If it doesn't feel good, it isn't. And, and that's one of the things, you know, I'm, you posted some of my images that I had some of my quotes on, but good relationships do not feel bad. 
on any level. They don't. They don't feel bad. And you don't have to fight for love. How many more of those beliefs can we get to? Exactly. So what do you think stops some people from being able to have a truly satisfying, intimate relationship? Same thing, Nikki. They haven't done their work. You cannot have a satisfying relationship with anyone if you are constantly worried. And and we are worried. If we aren't solid in ourselves and okay with, with ourselves, no matter who is or is not in our lives, we're always going to be coming from that place of protection. So in order... To be intimate, we have to put our walls down. And if we're constantly protecting, we can never, ever get those down enough to create that level of deep intimacy that we all really, really want and need. You know, one of the, one of the things, and I took lots and lots of courses with Dr. Ava when I got my coaching certification, and, and one of my favorites by far was the intimacy course. And one of the very, very first parts of that was breaking down the word intimacy. And she breaks it down with into me you see which actually mm. makes a lot of and and it, well and i think i think not only does it do that but it it shows that you have to make yourself vulnerable because if you're going to let somebody truly see into you that's about as vulner, vulnerable as you're going to get you know so are are you willing to do that and if not you're not going to be able to have a true um satisfying intimacy in your relationship you've got to let the other person in but you've got to heal your own wounds first I mean, that's the whole thing you are never never going to be able to be capable of that unless you have healed the reasons why you're not able to it, it, it just it's a chicken egg and and that's the thing again people don't really want to hear i didn't i fought and railed against it but and I talk about rebound guy a lot in my in my talks and such because he's he's so pivotal to me and, and actually we're still friends, uh, which is pretty cool, and can talk about this stuff in a way now that's very healing. But when we were in a relationship, we couldn't could not happen because any time he would try to be vulnerable and open with me, which was very very difficult for him, I got triggered myself and all my fears came up. And then I turned it and made it about me. And the reverse was true as well. So even though there was a desire to do it, we were neither one capable of it because we weren't able to really heal our wounds. We didn't have the tools to do it at that time either. So that's what's critical. You've got to do it. One of the things that I think a lot of people battle, well, battle might be too strong a word. Maybe maybe they just accept and they don't realize that it can be different, is that they... And, and, and if you say this out loud to people, often they're going to come back with a very defensive response to it. But a lot of people have issues with or have very low self-esteem. And I think that manifests itself so many ways in our lives. And a lot of times about what, what we put up with, the choices we make, what we think we deserve or don't deserve, that kind of thing. Why do you think so many people have a hard time developing? And, and I'm not talking an overinflated, I am all that and a bag of chips kind of attitude, but having a healthy self-esteem. What do you think holds people back from being able to do that? I hate to go to the, the, the trite thing, you know, the cliched thing, but it is childhood programming because it's true. I mean, we've heard it so much that we tend to, we've kind of gotten desensitized to it, so we just ignore it. Oh, it's just that childhood crap. Well, that happened a long time ago. We should be over that. Just let it go. It's all, you say that all you want. You say it till the cows come home, but underneath, 
that is what's driving the boat. So if as a child, you know, you didn't get that, those skills or that feedback to build self-esteem, you don't have it. And so you're constantly looking to someone else to give it to you, to give you that validation, to give you that approval. And until you can do it for yourself, you can never have a healthy relationship. And you said, yeah, it's not, it's not about being arrogant. In fact, but, you know, arrogance, arrogance is really, you know, arrogance and bullies are really just a cover for really insecure people with very low self-esteem. That's right. all it is. It's just their coping mechanism. So all of us, from when we were children, whatever the case, whatever the experiences that we had, we got beaten down. You know, very few of us, let's be honest, very few of us grew up in that, oh, you are so wonderful. Oh, I, that is so fabulous. You know, you can, you can have the world. You can do anything. Most of us grew up in families that were really struggling with their own self-esteem. We couldn't, they couldn't teach us what they didn't know. And we don't know that it should be any different, particularly if we're still interacting with that family unit because that, again, is normal. Hey, this, this is, uh, just popped into my head when you said that. Um, there, the other side of the coin is children who get sometimes too much validation or too much praise, and, and maybe they didn't really earn it. It just the parents just gush all of this praise on the person. I actually read an article that was saying that that can do just as much damage as not giving enough validation because sometimes you give so much praise, so much of this kind of thing, that as the child gets older, they realize that they, they can never actually live up to these expectations the parents already has put in front of them. That, well, I could, yeah, I could see that too. And, and again, that triggered something for me when you're saying that is about work is about making your children work. And we've kind of gotten this social attitude that, oh, they shouldn't have to do that. I'll do it for them. I'll do this. I'll do that. When we do that, we deprive our children of, of having that satisfaction for themselves. In the video that pops in my head, I just got to tell you this, it was just hysterical. I was taking pictures of the kids. We lived in Colorado at the time. And, you know, we used a wood stove to heat the house. And so we were all carrying in wood. And so I had my youngest, she was barely a year old, if that. I mean, it was just a, she was just toddling, you know. And my other two, which would have been two and two years old, or so five-year-old and three-year-old and one-year-old, and they're, they're out carrying in the wood into the house. Oh, how mean of you. No, they were really, you know, they were learning what to do. It was cool. But my oldest daughter turned around and she handed this pine log to this toddler, this one-year-old toddler, and she just wraps her hands around it and starts toddling into the house. And she was so proud of herself because she got to do what the big kids were doing. And she got to get that internal validation, even at a year old, of doing what other people did. We've got to do that. And if we didn't get it when we were children, we've got to give it to ourselves now. That's funny because, you know, I talk to people who don't grasp the satisfaction, I guess is the right word, of starting a project and seeing it all the way through and seeing it completed. I love doing that. Thank goodness I, I love doing that. Otherwise, I could never write a book, you know, because you start with this big blank document and it's like, <gasps> you know, and then, then, you know, going from absolutely nothing on the page to a finished product and holding the book in your hand or seeing it for sale on Amazon or whatever. But it's shocked me when I meet, because I just assumed that everybody understood that principle. You know, you take, you take like these materials and you put them together and you create a product and this is an awesome kind of thing. Not everybody understands or I guess appreciate the feeling of accomplishment of having done something. And, and like you said, that can come from having other people do everything for you. 
there was it was the example of somebody just letting everybody else do things for them and it gave the example of them in the gym and they're they're working out in the gym and you know you're getting hot and sweaty in the gym and they're on the treadmill and they glance over to the side and they see it but it needs to be plugged in and needs to be moved because it's not blowing on them you know and and the thing is they're so set in this this mindset of somebody else has to do it for me that since nobody else moved the fan they they continue to be hot and sweaty and uncomfortable they were giving up the, the entire power of being able to feel better because they wouldn't just walk five steps and plug it in and move it. So, and it can be that way in our lives. Whether it's a little effort or a lot of effort, do we put the effort into doing something that's going to help us make things better for ourselves? It's up to us. It just is. And, and we, we want that shortcut. And there are shortcuts, but there is no shortcut for personal responsibility in doing it. You have to figure out what you want and then figure out what you're willing to do to get it. How bad do you want it, and what are you willing to do for it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll do that. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. Do we have time to go over your litmus test questions? Yeah, I would love to. I'll share it, and we can do it again if you want to, but let's let's throw it out there since we really talked about self-esteem. Because when I was going through all this, and my self-esteem was so low, I'm not even sure it was on the meter, I, I really... Came, I had to do something that would get me to where I could get out of this pit that I was in. So I came up with these two questions. And the first, a litmus test questions on choices and decisions. So the first one is, would a person with high self-esteem and self-respect do what I'm doing? And then I think what I'm thinking or tolerate what I'm tolerating. And then I made myself explain why or why not. Big, huge. Would they do what I'm doing? Think what I'm thinking? Tolerate what I'm tolerating? That's question one, and why or why not? The second one is, does this get me closer to what I really want? And again, why or why not? Now, the second one is a trick question because you have to be really clear on what you want in a relationship for me at the time. I had to be really clear. If I said over here that what I want is this mutually fulfilling relationship that's passionate and we do things together and it's just mutually respectful and it's all of these things that I develop, that's one thing. But if I say over here, yeah, but I really just, I just want a relationship with this one particular person, that's a very different path. And they are very different things. And and if they are not congruent, you're going to constantly be in conflict. So it is critical that you know what you want and if it's really going to get you, what you're doing is going to get you moving toward it. And is it something that someone who, who did really respect themselves, would they be doing what you're doing? Awesome. I like those very much. Simple. simple. They sound simple on the surface, but great, great questions. Paula, it's been awesome to have you with me today. And we will see you next time on Ready for Love Radio. <laughs> 